Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Today I'm talking to Vicki Cook of Heart and Moxie. Vicki is a coach whose work focuses on helping women over 40 figure out what they want for midlife and beyond, to have what she calls a midlife awakening rather than a midlife crisis. We talk about identity, how much pressure we put on mothers and how it affects women when their kids are grown, and how following your curiosity is the key to figuring out what's next. Vicki also tells us about her somewhat unusual hobby. She's a silversmith. Here's my conversation with Vicki Cook. You you do something a little bit different than a lot of people that I talk to, and I think it probably makes sense to have you explain a little bit of that for everybody. Yeah. So I am a transition coach, and I work with women who are over, typically over 40. Uh, sometimes it might be approaching 40, but usually it's over 40. And I lead them through uh, basically a process for turning their midlife crisis into a midlife, what I call a midlife awakening. So I think, you know, most people think when they, when they hear midlife crisis, they think, you know, the man who's, you know, ditching the wife for the, the, the <laughs> wife of 20 years for the, the gym bunny and they're getting the, you know, uh, losing weight and they're getting the, uh, the convertible. But, mm-hmm. you know, as women, we never really consider the fact that we could be going through that too. And so, when that hits, and I honestly think every single person walking on this planet goes through this transition phase when we get into, you know, 40s. I like to think of it as when you get to the get to that place where you wake up and you realize, wow, I'm not old, but mm-hmm. holy crap, I'm not young anymore either. And that freaks yeah. you out. <laughs> and it really does. And so there's this almost like this moment of, well, wait, what am I doing? And who am I? And, and that's when that crisis mode uh, sinks in. And for women, it just shows up differently than it does for, for men. And we're not talking about it. So women think we're going through it on our own and it can be really scary. And so I like to teach them about this process and, um, teach them some strategies for, for, for look, looking at it from a different perspective so that they can really go out and, and get the life that they want and reinvent things the way they want to. That sounds kind of daunting from where I <laughs> Because as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember when I turned 40 and all of a sudden it, it dawned on me that, you know, odds were really good that my life was about half over and, oh my God, there's all these things that I wanted to do that I thought I had all this time for and, um, hang on. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Is that where a lot of it starts or? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, uh, what I hear the most is they want more meaning in their life. So it's the sense of everything I've been doing up until now not bad, but it doesn't really align with what I really want. Like I'm not feeling the sense of fulfillment in my life. Mm -hmm. And some of it could be, maybe they never really embarked on that. You know, they just kind of followed, you know, what they were supposed to do over the years. Right. And other times it can just change, you know, as we get older and we go through different experiences, we desire different things. So there's a sense of wanting a deeper sense of fulfillment. There is a sense of wanting uh, deeper connections because at this point, you know, it's harder to make friends. It's harder to hang on to friends. You know, relationships are starting to either 
die out or you just hit rough patches or they've just gotten divorced. So there's that sense of meaning deeper connections. And then also um, they want to have some more fun. Like they've been just doing all the things and all the shoulds and all these stuff that they're supposed to do by raising kids and taking care of a husband or building a career. And now it's like, I want to let my hair down and have a little fun. So I, I look at it as these, I call those three chief desires. So purpose, adventure, and connection. And, and that plays a big part in getting to that midlife awakening phase, because when you learn what each of those mean for you specifically, and you maximize it, that's when you start living differently. And that's when you change your, change your life. Well, that makes sense. And, and as I'm listening to you, I'm also hearing the voice of Brene Brown in my head saying midlife is when life grabs you yes. by the shoulders and shakes you and says, I'm not kidding. Do your thing. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Because we're still young enough to go do things and have fun. And, you know, but it's almost like what I've been doing, whatever it is that you've been doing, I've been doing it for so long. How do you change that? Because when we're younger, we're used to doing all of these new things. We, we go to you know, a different grade every year in school, and then we go to college, and then we're graduating. And it's, so we're used to new things, and we're used to change. But then once we get that job and we get the house, we settle into a routine that we live for years. Yes. And then we, can't, we don't know how to get out of it. So usually when I start working with people and when they start finding me, it's when they feel stuck and they don't know what to do. And, and I'm also... Nobody could see me nodding my head, but I'm, I'm nodding my head because I, ooh, maybe 10 or 11 years ago. So before I turned 40, um, I, I distinctly remember having a moment when I suddenly realized that the last like seven or eight years of my life had pretty much been the same every day. Mm-hmm. And so all this time had passed without me even noticing it. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah, I'm betting that all sounds familiar too. like, wait, hang on, what have I been doing? And what am I, you know, even before you realize your time is not infinite, you kind of go, how did, how did that just happen? And Mm -hmm. how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of what you just described sounds fairly depressing. And I'm kind of inclined (laughs) to say, tell me something that makes me feel better. Yeah. And that, and that is the thing. Like I think when you're going through this transition, it's, it's not an easy process, right? I mean, whenever we're changing and evolving, it's like, okay, this is not a great metaphor or visual, but you know, the snake who's shedding its skin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know what the experience is like for a snake, but that seems like that wouldn't feel great. But then once they've done that, I'm sure they feel amazing. So it's kind of the same thing where it, it's not necessarily a fun process, but that's where I like to teach people to have fun with it. So I like to to teach them, and this aligns a lot with what you talk about with following your curiosity. I like to say, chase your curiosity. And I, you know, I, I think I read that in a book by um, Liz Gilbert and I loved that phrase. Yeah. And so I, you know, I like to say, chase your curiosity because that is your, that's your guide. That's your guiding light. Those are the little seeds that, that want to be planted, but you've got to grab the seeds and actually put them in the ground and do something with it. And that's where you can have fun with it. And, and everything that you chase doesn't have to necessarily lead to your purpose or lead to deeper connections. It's just the process. And in the process of doing that, you're having more fun and you're learning to trust your instinct. So tell me how you view chasing your curiosity because we certainly do have this overlap here and I'm yeah. curious to see how it's different for you. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's really just paying attention to those, what I call intuitive hits. So if any, I mean, anything that pops up, like you're reading a book and it's like, wow, you know, here's a place I've never heard of, you know, what is that? And sometimes, you know, 
the way I do that, like I've been, I, I'm a big reader and I love not only personal development books, but I love um, fiction books as well. And there's many, many times that I'm reading a book and it's set somewhere in Europe and I've never heard of the little town. It's like oh, maybe a little small town in Tuscany or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about it. So I'll get on Google and I'll Google it. And I will tell you, I have actually gone on trips to Europe based on places that I've read about in books that I thought, oh, I don't know much about that. I'm curious about it. And it's eventually led me to actually taking a trip to explore that place. I love that. That's so so when I, when I originally had the idea for this podcast, I wanted it to be an overlap of creativity and travel because I feel like there's a lot that can be done there. But of course there's this little budgetary problem with the travel side. Cause what I wanted to do was go all over the place and meet people and find out what they do and see their stuff. And it was kind of like, what a cool excuse to travel. Right. Except that there's this money thing. So (laughs) (laughs) so someday, someday I hope maybe I'll get to do that part, but, but yeah, so, so you're kind of, you're hitting all of my stuff here with the idea of, of, yeah, what, I, I mean, that, I could even see like a tour company that does that. Like, yeah. And, and I'm not one for group tours, but <laughs> I could totally see somebody saying, I'm going to do tours to all of these places from different books. And, oh, that would be awesome. And make that happen. You know, kind of like there are Harry Potter tours, right? But yeah. Go way, way beyond that. Absolutely. And, you know, even if like funds is a problem and it's like, gosh, I can't afford to go take all these big trips. Another thing I like to tell people is you don't have to, you know, you can just pull out a map of where you live look at a circle that's two hours around you. Where have you never been that's within two hours and then get in the car and go there. And that fulfills the same, that same deep desire of adventure and experiencing something new and just being curious. Like I've heard about this place that's 90 minutes away. Why not? I go, why don't I go check it out? Yeah. Well, and and since you mentioned Liz Gilbert, which is also where I got the phrase, follow your curiosity. (laughs) um, You know, when she talks about that, she wrote her book. I think it's called The Signature of All Things. Is that right? Um, I think it's the one that came out a couple of years it. ago, and and you know is a novel, and it it kind of I think surprised everybody with how good it is because I think people forgot that she was originally a novelist. Mm-hmm. But it was advice that she was given by a friend when she said, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to write about. And her mm-hmm. friend said, follow your curiosity. And she started digging into gardening and it ended up yeah. with this, this whole novel coming out of it. So, yeah, you know, it, it can take you all sorts of interesting places you don't expect. Oh, absolutely. Which absolutely. You know, I just feel like she kind of validated that in her own life. Yeah. Very nicely. And Big Magic is great too. But, yeah. you know, I, I still haven't read the novel and I really feel like I should. Yeah. So, so yeah. So how, how does how does it tend to work for people? And I know, you know, there's no one path and everybody's mm-hmm. probably different, but when, when you send people out to chase their curiosity, mm-hmm. can you give us an example of what that might look like or what's happened for someone? Yeah. Um, one of my clients, she it's actually similar since you mentioned the gardening thing, I just thought of her cause she was looking to, um, she was feeling pretty stuck in her life. You know, she was actually even thinking like, you know what, I need to move to like Arizona and we live in Connecticut. She's like, <laughs> I need to move to Arizona. And, you know, she was feeling a lot of guilt about uplifting her whole family to potentially do that. And, you know, when we started to, you know, explore curiosity, one thing that she wanted to do, and this was actually more from a self-care basis, she wanted to start having fresh flowers in her house. So she started just buying fresh flowers, like I think once a week she would buy herself some flowers. 
And eventually, after a couple of months, she decided to plant a few. And eventually, after a couple of months after that, she ended up really getting into gardening and uh, not not so much like vegetables, but like flowers and things like that because she loved it so much. So just from hey, I, from a self-care perspective, I want to buy myself flowers. It led to this new passion that she uncovered of growing flowers, which I thought was so beautiful. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you know, before you got there, I thought buying fresh flowers gets expensive. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, now she has her own supply and something she loves to do. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And so another... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I have another client who's now, she's in the process of getting a divorce and she's um, exploring, uh, she just signed up for a ballroom dancing class. She's like, I've been wanting to do this for years. And she just signed up for a class and she's like, I had so much fun with it. And it was really scary, but it was so much fun. So I'm curious to see where she takes that. Mm-hmm. But um, I love that she's stuck out of her comfort zone to just chase something that she was curious about. Yeah. So, so how did you come to working with women at midlife? I think because I was going through that. (laughs) And, you know, when I probably hit, oh, I don't know, maybe 37, 38, I'm 44 now. And when I hit 37 or 38, I hit that place where I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself and everything, you know, what I've been doing is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And at that point, I really didn't know about coaching. I really had not been in the whole personal development realm. I didn't even journal. I did none of that stuff. I was very type A, um, I was more on the, you know, math science side of things. And somehow around that, I started, I don't know, probably picked up a book. I don't remember exactly how it started, but I started trying to figure out answers to my questions mm-hmm. about what was the next step for me. And um, as I went through working with a coach and learning what coaching was and digging more into all of this stuff about personal development, I had a blog back at the time that was it, I called it random little things. It's not around anymore, but I wrote about just random things I liked because I liked that writing process. And then I started to write about the personal development piece. And it was really about trying to teach women to put themselves first from time to time and follow things that they loved. And it eventually just evolved over time where I really saw a need for women in, um, at the time I was looking at like generation X. Cause I was like, there was a need there. Um, you know, gen X is considered the, the, the middle child, the forgotten generation <laughs> because, you know, I mean, everybody focuses on baby boomers and millennials because right. they're such a huge and we're just stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, this isn't cool. You know, we need, we need to be talking to each other and we need to be connecting and we need to be um, discussing what's happening right now. And so as I went through my own process, um, it just inspired me to reach out and to help other women to do the same thing. That makes sense. And I think that a lot of us who are in coaching are here because we at some point needed it or saw the need somewhere and, and ended up there through accident or <laughs> I say accident. It's not really accidental. I just didn't know it existed. Exactly. And then, and then one day I did. So, yeah. so yeah, but I'm, I'm very curious since you mentioned journaling, mm-hmm. do you journal now? I do. Yeah. Can and you talk a little bit about that? Because absolutely. I, I'm a writer and I've tried to keep a journal in the past mm-hmm. and I've always, you know, like I'll manage to do it for a week or two and then, eh. yeah. And yet I, you know, and, and that may not be like, that's probably more like a diary. It may not really be what journaling is supposed to be, but I hear wonderful things about it. And I would just love to hear what your experience is. Yeah. I, you know, I never kept on growing up and I, and I don't know if it was 
you know, I had an older brother and I don't know if there was a fear of, you know, it being discovered and read, mm. um, but it, it just never appealed to me. And then at one point, I don't know what got me on that path, but I just uncovered like, oh, you know, writing things out actually helps me to get past all the noise in my head and get down into those deeper subconscious levels. And that's what I think is so powerful about journaling. And I think there's even studies out there that, that show when you write stuff out by hand and in your journaling, you're able to do that. And so I've tried a bunch of different techniques over the years. And for me, I don't journal every day. It really depends on what's going on in my life. Um, if I am, I, I'm not, I don't journal that much when things are going really, really well. Uh, I tend to journal when things are feeling challenging or when I feel like, okay, I've got to work through this, you know, something where I'm feeling stuck or I feel like an inner critic is having too much of an influence in my life. I will journal then. And that always helps me to just see things from a different perspective. Um, I also like to try to, uh, if I'm feeling really, really stuck, I like to write letters to the other parts of myself and then give them the opportunity to reply back which has been really helpful to um, just see things from allow that piece of me rather to, to have a voice where I might be trying to drown, to drown it out. And it just gives me a different perspective to try to, um, to heal things. Yeah. I can see where that would be really useful. What do you do when you're not doing that, that talking to parts of yourself part? Is there a particular uh, way that you approach it? Oh, just journaling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, I, you know, I have a, you know, obviously a journal and I just, um, you know, get comfortable and I just start writing and I, you know, I might be saying like, look, I'm, you know, been, in the last couple of weeks I've been struggling with this and I'm not really sure why. And I don't really put too many constraints around it. I just honestly just start writing. And a lot of times the first page or two is just doesn't really, it doesn't really go deep. It's really me just kind of outlining. This is what I've been struggling with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. Um, this is what I'd like to feel um, better about. And then usually it starts to, I start to, to get some insight and I just, it, it just kind of flows out. I don't really, happens. yeah, I don't even write in paragraphs. It's just like, I just let it go. Interesting. Cause yeah, I think part of me has wondered if I've just been making it too hard, hmm. you know, or not sticking with it long enough. You know, if I'm writing yeah. that first page and it's just like, eh, this is just not, doing anything why am I doing this and then stop before I get to that part so yeah. so that's really interesting yeah. no because I and I do feel like there are you know different methods and things that people mm. have but I yours sounds really simple and easy and doable <laughs> <laughs> well another thing that could be helpful is if you're wanting to like you know I'd really like to figure this piece out um, and you're finding like this blank page, you know, a little bit daunting to try to, to just pour it all out. You can maybe jot down some questions first. Like, what do I want? What do I want to answer here? Mm. What do I want to figure out? And it kind of gives you then a roadmap to, to walk down while you're, you're writing everything out. It might lead to, to other things that you didn't even think about. Yeah, that about. sounds good. That yeah. sounds good. So do a lot of your clients find out a lot through journaling too? Do you usually recommend? It depends. Some do. Some, I've had one client in the past who was right up front, like, I don't journal. And I want no part of it. <laughs> so I was like, that's cool. I mean, I do work into the way I work with people. I have a group program that's, that's, uh, that I run and it's called Moxify Your Midlife. And it's really <laughs> to walk you through, um, which, cause my, my, actually, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning. My business is called Heart Moxie. So I call my program Moxify Your Midlife. And it's really to get you to that place where you just don't feel as stuck and it kind of mm -hmm. gets you out of the fog and you're starting to see opportunities. And um, the process that I lead them through is there's, you know, a, a lesson where I walk them through 
whatever it is I want them to learn. And then the next piece is I give them a workbook for each of the modules where it's got reflection questions and things in there. So there's an element of journaling without it actually being like, hey, go buy a journal and start mm-hmm. journaling every day. It gives them that opportunity to reflect on it before I ask them to then take an action step. So even though I don't necessarily tell everybody you have to go journal, um, if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I explore that with them to see if it's something they're open to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's in like my group program, I, I kind of weave that in because I know that's such a powerful way to, to get new insight within yourself. That sounds really cool. So how long have you been doing all of this? Oh, I have been doing this uh, probably about three years. I went to coaching school, I think almost four years ago. Okay. Um, so I started my business right after that. Yeah. So what surprised you the most since you started? Wow, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you yeah. don't have to keep it to just one thing if that's easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just the whole process, and I've heard other people say this, that have like a business, you know, being an entrepreneur teaches you so much stuff just about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, learning where my perceived limitations are and then either seeing how I, I lean into that or seeing how I get stronger by standing up to that and pushing through it. Um, which is, has been probably the biggest thing I've taken away from the whole process. But in terms of like, you know, the business side of things and having a coaching business, it's um, just all that goes into it. You know, the, the coaching piece that they don't tell you this in coaching school, that the coaching part where you're actually working with a client is like the, the tip of the iceberg, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, there's so much that you have to do before you even get to that place. Yes. And I never even anticipated. I thought, you know what? Once I hang my sign on the door, I'm ready to go. And I'm just going to have clients like walking in like, hey, let's work together. (laughs) They don't tell you that part. (laughs) I I just said to somebody yesterday, you know, yeah, I thought I was going to just build a website and 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 they will come, you know, exactly. not like Field of Dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Just magically know you exist because you put a site on the internet. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, you know, I, I know from, from teaching and from coaching, and I'm sure that this is true for you too, you know, I was surprised when I started teaching at how much I learned from my students mm-hmm. the where there were moments where I felt like this isn't fair. I'm learning more from you than you <laughs> it must be. It certainly feels this way. I'm not sure yeah. it's supposed to be like this. And yet I kind of think it is. I, I, yeah. I eventually decided that, you know, if I wasn't learning at least as much from my students as they were from me, I was probably doing it wrong. Yeah. So I'm wondering like, what have you learned from your clients? Oh, that's a great question. And and I totally agree with that, by the way. I like to think of it, we're all teachers and we're all students. So we all learn from each other and we all teach each other. And, um, you know, I think, you know, just surface level for my clients, you know, just new things to read, new podcasts to listen to. I mean, there's, that's the obvious, but um, learning how to hold space and, you know, working with people without necessarily like jumping into their story with them. Like I can't learn that unless I'm working with people and so I've learned that through people. I've learned how to um, approach my life differently by seeing how they approach theirs, which I think is such a beautiful gift when you're working with people to, to be able to see how they approach things and then to be able to then, wow, I can enrich my life just by being in their sphere, um, which is awesome. Um, trying new things and uh, yeah, I think that that to me is the biggest the biggest takeaways that I've learned from other people. Um, it's just being able to see how all of the different ways that it, that there are for living life 
you know, there's, there's not one, one path for anything. And, you know, I think so many of us think that there is, that there's only, you know, I have to do it this way, or that's not an option for me because of X, Y, Z. And yet just because three people go down this one path doesn't mean that there's not another path that's a whole lot better for you. And that's, yeah, you know, that's probably the best thing I learned. And those three people aren't going to be on an identical path either. No, Even if it looks like it from the outside, it's going to be yeah. really, really different for them. Absolutely. I, I think this idea that, you know, when I was a kid and that you may recognize this too, you know, it was the whole, you finish high school, you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all, all these steps that are supposed to happen in, in this order. Yeah. And if at some point you do something a little different, whether you choose to, or whether that's just how it works out, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, oh, am I, am I a weirdo? I mean, I, you know, uh, I guess it was three years after I finished college, I, well, two and a half, um, I went off to Northern Ireland for six months because I could. Oh, that's awesome. Because I wasn't, I, I was not allowed to do a study abroad semester in college. Mm. So when the opportunity to go somewhere for about the same length of time fell into my lap, I wasn't about to say no. And of course, my whole family freaked out thinking, oh my God, it's Northern Ireland. You're going to get blown up. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. But, you know, it, it was interesting because some people, really didn't understand. My grandparents did not understand. And they had gone on many trips abroad, but they could not understand why I wanted to go stay somewhere for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, and and my grandmother literally looked at me and said, if you do this, I refuse to support you. And I thought, uh-huh, okay. Wow. You know, and yet I also knew that the second I got on the plane, she was on the phone telling all of her friends, <laughs> Nancy's in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So, like, yeah, okay, grandma, I'm I'm really buying that one. But but, you know, at the same time, I also had people saying to me, because I was, what was I, barely 24, you know, yeah, absolutely, you should go do this. You're not married. You don't have any kids. You don't own a house. You, you know, you are the freest you'll ever be. And you should go do this now while you can. Yeah. And it did, you know, it, it did kind of throw me on a different trajectory in some ways. But I mean, it certainly shaped who I am in ways that never would have happened if I hadn't gone. But, you know, it was enough off the beaten path that, yeah, it looks really weird to some people. And they're like, but this is not, this isn't where you are on like the Candyland board game life. And Mm -hmm. you've just taken this total detour. You're not even on the same board anymore. You're on somebody else's game. You're like playing backgammon now. Yeah. And, and yet you can still come back to the Candyland board. Absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, I, I feel like we have this idea that there's this one road that everybody's supposed to be on and it's mm-hmm. really not realistic. And even if, yeah. even if there were one plan, mm-hmm. it's not like it's going to work the same way for everybody. It's not, no. the timing won't be the same. The, the route won't be the same. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that. Yeah. Like we all have a light inside of us that needs to shine and what makes my light shine the brightest is not going to be what makes your light bright, your light shine the brightest. And we have to find a path that, that feeds that and gives that to us because we not only deserve that for ourselves, but the world around us deserves that. Can you imagine if everybody was walking around with the ability to shine their light the brightest? Cause I think most people's are dim. Oh, yeah. They don't know how, can you imagine how amazing this world would be if we each learned to do that and respected 
everybody else's light, the color of their light, the intensity of their light, however that is. Yes. I mean, what a beautiful world it would be. It would. And I think, I think it's also, it's not even just that the light is so dim for some of us. It's that we're trying to stick ourselves into somebody else's box. Yeah. We're trying to make our light look like somebody else's. Yeah. Cause somebody told us that we had to be a lawyer or a yeah. doctor or, you know, take over the family business when we don't mm-hmm. care about the family business, no. you know, <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it, it does sort of, I talked to Don Kotzer a couple months ago and, you know, the way she put it was it sandblasts your soul. And I think that really is, is the best way of saying it. It it does. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not all at once. It's sometimes isn't even noticeable, but that's what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I like to tell people when you take the reins of your life now, you know, you can't go back and change the past, but you can, you know, you can obviously change the future, but if you can take the reins now, you're, what you're doing is you're limiting your regrets. So instead of getting to the point down the road where you look back on your life and you're like, wow, I wish I had done that. I wish I had tried that. You know, you can't change it at that point. But if you can say now, I'm taking the reins right now and I'm going to be creative and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to do what feels right to me. I mean, you're still going to have regrets because that's life, but you're seriously limiting them and that's taking control of your life. Yeah, I think we don't we don't do that enough. And I think we also forget that things that we might think we want to go back and change have actually given us the insight and perspective that we have now that we wouldn't have without them. So because sometimes I think about that, there are certain moments that I, you know, kind of think, wow, I would love to change this. It's like, well, yeah, but if I hadn't gone through that. Yep. I wouldn't have the ability to empathize with people who mm-hmm. have gone through something similar, or I wouldn't know how this one thing works or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I think we tend to forget that we, we, yeah. we so easily focus on, I really wish that had never happened yeah. without giving ourselves credit for, Hey, it made me into a, the person that I am now. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that I would like who I was if I hadn't gone through some of the bad things I've gone through. Absolutely. You have to like, instead of like looking at it in a microscope, we have to, to, to go back, you know, or expand out. So what we're looking at is the full picture because you're right. I mean, I, I got divorced when I was 32, I think. And, you know, it was not a great, it was a short marriage. It wasn't a great marriage. And I could easily say, gosh, I wish that had never happened. I wish I could go back in my life and completely undo that. But at the same time, I never would. I never would have learned my strengths for mm-hmm. standing up for myself and getting out, out of it. I never would have moved to where I live now which led me to meeting some of my, my um, most amazing friends and people that I know and, you know, leading to the relationship that I'm in now, I would have not met this person had I not been in this location. So, you know, it's all of the good things that come after it means we have to go through that. And that's, that's not a bad point. It's just, it's just part of life and that's okay. Yeah. I think there's truth to the idea that you don't regret the things that you've done. You regret the things you didn't do. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So how, how do you convince people to go and do the things that they might regret not doing later, especially if they think that, because a lot of people think, you know, oh, I can't do that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's having conversation about it and being like, well, what's crazy about it? And shifting their perspective on what's bad. Because usually most people are afraid of the outcome. Like, what if I do that and I look like a fool? Or what if I do that and um, everybody thinks that I'm an idiot? Or what if I do that and I fall flat on my face? And so I start to shift it with them like, well, what's worse? Doing that and feeling, okay, that happened? 
or not doing it? Which one are you going to regret more? And, you know, and then I take them back to, well, where have you tried things in the past and fallen on your face? Was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? And usually the answer is no. And so when I start to paint different pictures of that, usually what they, they realize what they'll regret the most, like we were just talking about, is if they don't try it. Mm-hmm. And it just helps to reframe that for them. Um, and I even give them the permission to say, hey, you know what? You don't have to tell anybody that you're going to go do this. You know, but you can go just on the side and just go have some fun or whatever it is that you want to do. And you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to explain your choices to anybody else. Um, so if you want to tell people that you are doing it, just go do it. You don't have to explain, offer a reason why. And that's so huge. I, I remember when, and, and I don't know, it's been 20 years now, so I may be misremembering this if my cousin happens to listen. <laughs> but but when I was getting ready to tell my family that I was going to go to Northern Ireland, because you can't really hide that one. Um, <laughs> you know, my brother told me that one of my cousins had told him about how she went and she auditioned for a play. She never told anybody about it. And, you know, she got a part. She went through the entire process of all the rehearsals and everything. And she didn't tell them until the show was about to open. Oh, wow. And, you know, when they said to her, why didn't you tell us? She said, because I didn't want anybody telling me I couldn't do it. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I think there's so much to that. I mean, like I said, you can't, you can't hide the fact that you're going to go abroad for six months and you're going to break your lease and you have to put your stuff in storage. And oh, by the way, can you take me to the airport? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can, you know, if, if you know that somebody is going to try to talk you out of something that mm-hmm. you know you really need to do, you don't have to tell them. And I think there's yeah. something with women in particular because, and it is kind of stereotypical and not all women do this, but a lot of us do tend to tell everybody everything. You know, our Absolutely. friends know everything that's going on with us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to remember that it's okay not to tell people. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. to say, this is just for me. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're going to say but, no to something, you know, I like to tell women, I teach them on setting boundaries. And I'm like, you know, when you set a boundary, sometimes all you have to do to set a boundary is just say no. Mm-hmm. And said, you don't have to tell them why. And as women, we do that, right? We, you know, yeah. we say, no, I can't make it because I got to go do this, 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 and this. And it's like, you don't, you just have to say no. Yeah, <laughs> we feel like our excuse all the is good Yeah. You don't need the excuse. Just say yeah. nope. Or apologize for it. I'm so sorry. I can't, but you don't have to apologize. <laughs> Why do we all think we have to do that? I don't know. <laughs> Men don't do that. They don't. No, I work in like a male dominated workforce. And I noticed that like, you know, when women, some will come in and like, they got to start a meeting and it's like, okay, everybody, I'm really sorry. We got to start now. It's like, it's your meeting. It's time to start. Just start. Yeah, the don't be sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry that other people aren't, haven't managed to get themselves there yet. Just yeah. start. And men never do that. They never apologize just for being. Yeah. Yeah. So does that end up forming a, a lot of what you end up working with, with women and, you know, getting, getting us to stop apologizing for yeah, existing? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of women, um, especially if you're feeling stuck and you don't know what that next step is and you, even if you do know what it is, but you don't know how to take that next step, it's because we've been taught over the years, either through others around us or just through our own beliefs that what we want doesn't matter. I mean, if you think about it, you know, for moms in particular, and my heart goes, I I don't have kids, so I'll say that right up front. My heart goes out to moms with all the mom guilt that's out there and all the mom shaming. And, you know, like I, we had, you know, Mother's Day recently and not that all moms deserve 
absolute 100% praise for everything because that's the hardest job ever. Sure. But, you know, I, I would see posts from, you know, adult children saying, you know, my mom was the best because she put us, me and my, you know, the kids and the dad and all of us in front of her and her needs for years. And they're getting praised for that. And they should, but at the same time, I, ca- I couldn't help but think, what's the message that's sending to the moms who've just got a brand new baby that yeah, they have to put everything awful. they want and everything they need on the back burner for the next 20 years, because it's not important. It's, it's not important what you yeah. need. There, there's got to be a way to say, yes, your kids and your family are important, but you're important too. Absolutely. And I feel like that gets lost because we do, we, we have this idea that, you know, I was just reading something about this the other day, like, you know, the whole history of, of psychoanalysis and how, you know, Freud was all about, tell me about your mother and all of this pressure on mom and how much mom can mess with you. I think this was actually an article about how important dads are and, and they are. And yet we don't focus on that because mm-hmm. we've made it all about mom. And that's not fair to anybody because mm-hmm. kids need both. Yeah. And, you know, you've, you know, you, you can't, you cannot consistently sacrifice yourself to anyone or anything without it having repercussions that really aren't good for anybody. Absolutely. If you're, if you are telling yourself that what you need isn't important, mm-hmm. you are also at the same time telling other people that they're much more important than you, which yep. creates a dynamic that has an effect on them too. Absolutely. You know, if your kids believe that they're the center of the universe and then they go out into the world and they find out that they're not, what does that do to them? You know, yeah. that's not really doing them a favor in the long term any more than it is for you. Yeah. And I think we we really have lost that. We've yeah. lost the balance. Yeah. And I hear that a lot when I, when I get women who are past, they don't have the small kids anymore. Like their kids mm-hmm. are either in high school or they're out of the house and they're, they're like, I don't know who I am anymore. And they're having to reconnect yeah. with, with themselves and learn who they are because they haven't, they haven't touched that in years and they know they're not who they were at 22 or 23, but they have no clue who they are now. And that can be just incredibly frightening because there's oh, absolutely. a big, huge blank space. Like, what do I do with this? And also d- dealing with the feeling of not feeling like they're needed as much when that's what they've tied mm-hmm. their self-worth into is everybody else needing me. And now that's not as much either. It's just, it creates a, a really uh, shaking, shaky ground to stand on. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, it's your entire identity uprooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ugh. I don't, I don't know. I feel, I feel like we really do. We have this skewed idea. I mean, one, one of my grad school advisors who I'm hoping to interview one of these days for this podcast, <laughs> um, Reiko Rizzuto wrote a piece and this was a, at least 10 years ago, I think for Salon called why I left my children. Ooh. And I don't think she gave it that, that headline. Cause usually the headlines are written by other people mm-hmm. and and nowhere in that article did she say, I don't love my children. I regret mm-hmm. having children, anything like that. It was just yes. that her husband was the one who really wanted kids. She wasn't that into it, but, you know, and I hope I'm not mischaracterizing this because I've, it was a long time ago that I read this. So if I am, Rico, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, he was the primary one who really wanted to be the parent. He mm-hmm. really, you know, and, and she was just kind of like, yeah, okay, I did this because you want this. And eventually they split up. Yeah. 
And she was happy to let him have primary custody of the kids because it was his bag. And she got an apartment right down the street in Brooklyn. So it's not like she never saw her kids. They were there all the time. They would stop in after school and then go back to their dads or they'd come and sleep over on the weekends or anything like that. It was not like she was not involved, Mm -hmm. but she was involved on a level that was more in line with her comfort level and her interest level. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that she'd ever wanted to see them again. Yeah. And the response to this article, people Mm -hmm. literally said she was worse than Hitler. Mm -hmm. Literally said that, which is a massive loss of perspective because one killed 6 million people and the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it it was astonishing. She ended up on the Today Show with a couple other women who were kind of in a similar boat. And, And it really you know, brought home to me how we, you know, we put all this pressure on women to Mm -hmm. be mom and be the perfect mom, but being a mom doesn't have to look like cookies every day after school and, you know, doing everything your kid wants and and making Mm -hmm. it all about your kids. It it really doesn't have to look like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, now that I think about it, I mean, that's sort of like the beginning moment of Liz Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love is you really want kids. I don't, I can't do this. I've got to leave. Yeah. You know, and, but, but yeah, we have this idea that if you don't have kids or don't want kids or don't want primary custody of your kids, mm-hmm. that there's something fundamentally wrong with you as a human yeah. female. And it's, it's, it's nuts. We don't do this to men. No, no. Cause if, if, if it was the opposite, when you were telling that, that story, I was thinking, wow. And I knew that you probably were going to going to get to the part where she was like eviscerated, like when that went public. Oh, yeah, and, and at the same time, I'm thinking, that would be a normal expectation for a couple that's divorcing where the husband is moving out and Mm -hmm. nobody would say anything or expect anything different. And it would be perfectly acceptable and okay. And that's not fair. It's not fair. And it's not fair that, you know, dads have to fight to have equal custody of their kids or or any at all. That's not fair. either. It's we, we need to fix that in a big way. Yeah. 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 And if we could get to the place where moms recognize that, you know what, you can be an amazing, amazing mother while still also retaining some of your identity and doing what you love and taking care of your needs. That does not make you a a bad mom. That makes you an amazing mom because you're showing them another aspect of you. You're showing them that you're a human being and that they need to learn to respect that side of you as well. Like that's, that's a huge lesson that gets lost when moms don't have the freedom to do that or they feel like they can't because they'll be judged or they'll be a bad mom. Right. Yeah. Mom basically becomes an appendage. Yeah. You know, rather than her own person. Whereas yeah. if you can say, Hey, you know, I like to draw. Do you want to draw with me? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, or garden or cook or, or whatever, yeah. you know, which those are mostly home-based things and that's because <laughs> they're off the top of my head, not yeah. because those are supposedly <laughs> mom things. But, you know, I mean, hey, you know, if, if your thing is math and you say, hi, I want to sit down and do some math problems. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing or science yeah. experiment. I, I mean, yeah. you know, I think you need to show your kids that you are a whole person in order for them to be whole people. Yeah. And then when you get to that forties, that crisis piece isn't as strong or as deep because you, you still have that sense of identity and you're, and you're already exploring what you enjoy doing. So there's not this sense of, Oh my God, who am I? And what am I going to do? Yeah. And, and I wonder, so a lot of times with, with creative blocks, 
the mm-hmm. issue is I don't really think that I should be spending time on drawing or writing, a, you know, a novel or whatever, because that's not really necessary. It's sort of frivolous. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, half the battle sometimes is saying to people, it's not frivolous. Mm-mm. It's a thing you need to do. You'll be more yourself when you yeah. do this thing mm-hmm. and you'll have more energy for the other things. It's when you cut off that part of yourself yes. that you're in trouble. And I, I'm just kind of guessing that you probably have a similar conversation with people. Yeah. Yeah. I like to tell them that those things that they feel are frivolous that actually fill them up, even though they have no value for perceived value for anybody else. I tell them it's the same thing as plugging your cell phone in at night to charge. It's the same exact thing. Like, is that frivolous to to plug your cell phone in? No, because your cell phone needs that. So drawing or what writing a novel or whatever your thing is, even if it's just for you, actually benefits not just you, the reach is much wider. And you have to do that as part of like the food for your soul. So you have to, you have to do that to plug in your batteries and recharge. Otherwise you're running on fumes every day. And that's not sustainable. No, it's not. What did we ever do before we had that phrase? How did we explain this to people? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. (laughs) It feels like such a term of the last 10 years, you know, but it's it's true. I mean, you will, you'll run yourself down. Yeah. You'll have nothing left at all. Yeah. So is there something that's most common that comes up for people that you work with? You know, like the biggest hurdle that the biggest one is, is finding that sense of purpose and fulfillment. Um, you know, as I teach the, what I, like I said, the three chief desires, the biggest one that pretty much hits home with everybody is that, that needing to find uh, what that is. And I like to try to tell them, you know, this doesn't have to turn into a new career. I think a lot of people think that, oh, well, if I find what my purpose is, I have to leave my job. And I was like, no, nah, I could just be something to do on the side. That's fine. So it's, it's um, tying in that creativity piece with that purpose piece and showing them, you know, how to explore that. And really, I think the main obstacle that people encounter with that, that I've experienced is the shoulds, Mm -hmm. the perception of other people. Like what, what's my husband going to think? What's my mother-in-law going to think? What are my kids going to think if I try to do this? And that's the biggest hurdle that really gets people um, and keeps them not, not just not going after what they're, what they love to do, but it keeps from them from even exploring it or being able to see it. So that's the biggest piece. And the other part that I, uh, that I see a lot is when I start teaching about like inner critics and how that shows up, most people don't even realize that that dialogue that we have going on in our head, they don't, they don't realize that that's from like inner critics and that you can manage that and that you can choose what you believe and what you don't believe. And so I love teaching people about that and strategies around that because it, it's a game changer when they start to realize, wow, now I know where that's coming from. And now I know how to deal with that. And now I know to ignore that when that comes up and it can, it just shifts people out of that stuck mode. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the inner critic a lot of the time isn't even them. No. Nope. You know, it's somebody else's voice. Yep. Your other kids at school, mom and dad, yep. a boss, a coworker. Yep. It's not it's not them. No. I like to walk them through an exercise where they can they can see that inner critic and they can actually personify it and give it a name and give it a voice and, and you know, what are they wearing? What do they look like? Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, that's when you realize, holy crap, this isn't me. This is, you know, yeah. my, one of one of mine is that I that I discovered this year was it's it's like my biggest, biggest inner critic is uh 
I discovered when I went through that process with myself that it's actually a little boy and his name is Joel. And so now whenever I hear that little voice come up, I'm like, all right, Joel, thank you. I got it. We had a conversation on this. (laughs) But we're okay. <laughs> yeah, there's this power in being able to talk back to it, especially yes. with the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know you mentioned to me that that you have this little hobby as a silversmith. And I'm curious know. to know how you got there and and what what does that look like for you? Oh, okay. So I've always been creative. I've always um, had, my mom was always very creative. And so I got that from her. And so, you know, I can always remember back over time, you know, making things. And I love that. And that to me is like, I consider that one of my purposes, even though I don't do anything other than that's what refuels me and that's what recharges me. Um, and so I've, over the years, I've just done different things. And a number of years ago, I took a class on, um, uh, like wire wrapping and bead, uh, stringing beads and all that kind of stuff to make jewelry like that. And I liked it, but it wasn't something that I loved. Like it didn't like, Oh my gosh, I need to be doing this all the time, but I still love that aspect. And I'm love jewelry. Um, and then I probably about two years ago, I was just, I wanted to learn something new. And I was, I was curious about, you know, what classes are there at my local, um, uh, art center that I could, that I could take. And they had a one day class on, um, uh, metal smithing, silver smithing. And it, I mean, they didn't teach much in it, but it was just to kind of introduce you to the concept. And I was like, well, that could be kind of cool. I, I don't know anything about that. I wonder what that is. And so I signed up for it and, you know, we made a really basic project, you know, really didn't learn too much about it, but just, just being, just getting a taste of manipulating the metal and watching the metal, like kind of join together. I was hooked. I was like, Oh, I need to learn more about this. And it probably took another, that particular place only taught like the one day class they didn't mm-hmm. go further than that. So I was like, how can I learn more about this? And so I looked around and I found a place actually near where I work. It's another art school and they do like weekly classes. And so I was like, oh, I'm totally doing that. And I've been doing that for a year and a half now. Oh, wow. And I absolutely, like I now even have like this whole little home studio set up. It's like over, you know, in my, in my office area and I try to make time for it. But, you know, I make jewelry now that's, I would never even imagine that I could have made something like that. And so mm-hmm. for now, it's just a hobby because I don't, you know, I want that to be my fun, my release, my right no, no, you know, no, uh, pressure around it, but I definitely can see like, Hey, maybe this could lead to something down the road. Maybe I could, you know, start selling this at some point, um, which is really cool to have taken that from, Hey, this class looks kind of cool Yeah. to like, Hey, there's, there's a potential opportunity here to take this to something else. Yeah. But I like that you have carved it out as I want this to be a no pressure thing. Yes. Because I think that's so important. I think a lot of us manage to kill the things we love by trying to make them too big, especially too quickly. Yeah. Or thinking we have to turn it into something that makes money. Because people will ask me, like, well, do you sell this? Like, you know, are you going to turn this into a business? And I'm like, well, you know, let's slow down for a second. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even I don't know what I want to do with this yet. So, you know, but have you done anything for anybody else? Just as a, um, a favor I or a gift? made uh, some things for my mom. Like I made her a, a, a ring, which was really fun. Um, I was going to make a ring for a friend of mine uh, for Christmas. But, and this is why I knew that I, I'm not ready to make this into like a job thing mm-hmm. because uh, the pressure of like having to get it done by like a deadline. I ended up like I had worked on it for weeks and literally like in the last probably two hours of the work on this ring to finish it, I completely squashed part of it. And oh. it, was like, 
<laughs> so it was totally oh. and I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so that one didn't work out, but, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, uh, little things um, like that. So I, um, you know, family members like my mom, I, I made mm-hmm. a couple of things for her, but I'm almost because of that one experience, I'm almost a little bit afraid to like take on the project of doing something for someone else unless they don't know about it. And I can just surprise them with it. But yeah. it's a little hard with like jewelry. It's like, hey, can I just get your ring size without just yeah, no exactly. reason at all? <laughs> I'm just going to put this thing around your yeah. finger. Don't mind me. Yeah. <laughs> just curious. <laughs> or maybe if you had enough lead time, you know, yeah. like That's give, me, give me eight months lead time so that I have the opportunity to botch yeah. it a couple times and exactly. get it right. <laughs> So do you, (laughs) yeah, do you actually design the jewelry too? Or are you like following to, okay. Oh no, I design it. Yeah. I carry like a notebook around. It's funny because like when I'm at work, a lot of times I'll have like these ideas and I can't tell you how many little post-it notes I have with sketches on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I then bring home and put in my, my sketchbook where I have designs. Um, Just, yeah, no, I draw it out myself and, and, and sketch what I want and then build it from that. So have you always drawn? Um, not really. Um, I, back in the early two thousands, um, one of my other, like chase my curiosity things, uh, I had, I, I temporary, well, for a couple of years, I went uh, part-time to the New York school of interior design, um, just on nights and weekends mm-hmm. and learned how to do some drawing there. Now, mostly it was furniture and rooms, but you know, just right. learning some of the concepts of how to, to draw, but I wouldn't exactly say I'm a great drawer drawer artist from that perspective, but at least it helps me just to get, this is what I'm envisioning and just so I can get it down on paper so that I can look at it, you know, a month later and be like, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, since I'm a stick figure artist on my good days, (laughs) (laughs) like, yeah, I don't know how I'd be at that part. (laughs) (laughs) It's not something I'd want to show people, but at least it, for me, it makes sense to me. It's mm-hmm. like messy handwriting. I can read it myself, but nobody else is going to be able to read it. So <laughs> but then when you translate the drawing into, I assume you must have something you mold something in. Um, I don't really mold it. Uh, there is molding that, that you can do with some of the jewelry making. I haven't learned that part yet, Okay. Um, but I, you know, mostly it's, it's forming the metal around it. So I'll, a lot of times okay. I'll start with, with, I love working with stones and setting stones. So a lot of times I'll start with a stone and that's what inspires me. And, and from that, if I have a stone that I love, I can totally see from that what I want the piece to look like. And that's what I kind of sketch out. And then from that, it's just working, you know, cutting the metal out or sawing it out or forming it, shaping it um, and, and doing it that way. Okay. So it's, it's way more sort of like, I want to say hands-on, not that pouring yeah. something into a mold wouldn't be hands-on, but in a different sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how I, I get now why handmade jewelry costs what it does because yeah. the amount <laughs> of work, I mean, it's like very tedious work that you have to do. It's, you know, but to me, I love that it's so much fun, but it is, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I would think it would have to be. And, and it's not like the materials you're using are cheap either. No, no. Yeah. Oof. That's so cool though. That's just yeah. like, it's, it's not the kind of hobby that most people have. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's, I mean, when you mentioned it, I thought, oh, that's, that's gotta be an interesting thing. But also, <laughs> you know, there, there was an episode of the, the TV show Mad About You, yes. which was on in the nineties, yep. where, you know, Jamie, the, the wife who's this mm-hmm. PR expert and everything, she quits her job and she spends like this entire episode trying to figure out what she wants to do now. 
and her husband comes home and she's like, honey, I finally figured out what I want to do. And he says, that's great. What is it? And she tells him and he says, that's wonderful. You'll be great at it. And she looks at him and says, 20 minutes ago, I wanted to be a silversmith, (laughs) (laughs) which has kind of, you know, a lot for me uh, you know, of trying to figure out what I really wanted to do has been like that. It's like, oh, this thing mm-hmm. sounds great. And then the next yeah. 20 minutes later, it sounds great too. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, most people, it's 20 minutes ago, I wanted to be a silversmith, but yeah. now I'm going to do something <laughs> sensible. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing and it's fun to, you know, hear what it's been like for you. Yeah. It's just a nice, you know, when I'm feeling like all caught up in my head and busy, it's, it's a nice place where I can just go and just escape. And yeah. Just have fun with it. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're just about out of time. Is there anything, any piece of advice you want to share? Anything else you want to? I would, you know, I, since I love to talk about people, you know, helping people get unstuck, I would say if you are in a place where you are feeling stuck in your life and whatever area that it is, um, the biggest piece of advice that I can give you is what are you curious about? And what can you follow with that? Even if it's something tiny, start with the small things. That's okay. <laughs> and just see where it leads you. And then what's the next thing that, it's good, that you get curious about? And then what's the next thing? And that's, that's going to start lighting your path for getting out of that stuck place. Well, I could not have said that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're singing my song. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much to Vicki Cook, and thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.